भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगैस्तुष्टुवागम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शाति 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 Swasti is welfare. I think that's we need a lot of that now, <laughs> all over the world, and especially here in USA. Um, so we were studying the fourth chapter of the Mandukya Karika, the Alata Shanti Prakaranam, and uh, here the main theme, at least one of the main themes, is taking up for consideration other philosophies, other points of view. and refuting them um we just saw how gaudapada in verses um no 6 7 8 9 10 he has told us about the advaita position um that our that we are the turiya by nature we are uh, that is our real nature he gives the examples of um you know the yogi who is born with uh, yogic powers from because of the sadhana done in past birth so we are born it's like a superpower that we have that you are the thurya you we are not subject to old age and death and disease um that is the body we are not subject to uh, frustration and disappointment and ups and downs uh, uh, that is the mind and so on so that is our our that's our superpower like the uh, siddhi of the yogi we are born with that it's it's our it's our real nature another example he gives is the the nature of fire for example is heat in the same way our real nature is the thurya that we are uh, pure consciousness um then he gives the example of the power of birds to fly uh, these are examples given by shankaracharya in the commentary to verse number 9 um, uh, gaudapada simply says uh, sahaja with uh, natural the natural ability of birds to fly the uh, the happenings in the world of nature akritrima shankaracharya gives the example of water flowing down so nothing special is needed for that that is the real nature of things just like that and he comments shankara on this that all these are still within maya but just as natural and as easy and as normal as that we are the atman it is our real nature then in the 10th verse he said that all beings not just enlightened beings all beings not just um, jivan muktas or uh, people who have realized brahm aham brahmasmi every being is naturally free of birth and death and uh, old age and disease he mentions jara marana nirmukta Yes, tenth verse. Naturally, sarve dharma swabhavata. Naturally, what naturally? Just like we saw those examples of natural, uh, naturally free. All beings are naturally free of old age and uh, uh, death, and also disease and so on. Yet we experience ourselves as aging, as sick, as dying. Why? 
He says, Javanti tan manishaya, because we are immersed in this world, in this wrong worldview. I would not only just say worldview, wrong worldview, wrong self view. We are not aware of our real nature. We are aware, not aware of what this, uh, what we are experiencing, that all of it is the Atman. We are the Atman, the Thuriya. But we think of ourselves as physical body, uh, the waker, identified with the physical body. So young body, I am young, healthy, I am healthy, sick, I am sick, old, I am old, body is sick or young or healthy or old. So identified with body mind, we tend to undergo old age, disease, death. It's an appearance, but for all that, of course, an appearance which is very, very real for us. So uh, the Advaita position is this is due to ignorance, it's not really happening. As against this, there are other philosophies, all of which they say, no, 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 the world is real, the body is real, and uh, birth is real, uh, old age, disease and death, these are the reality of our life, and um, we have to deal with that. So now, Gaudapada has to answer these questions. Gaudapada's view, Ajatavada, that the world did not originate or in philosophical language, the effect did not originate. Turiya is, is beyond cause and effect. Uh, it, no effect. Effect means waking, dreaming. Effect means the world. And in Advaita terms, world means waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Cause and effect. But Turiya is beyond cause and effect. Turiya is not the cause. Um, there is really no cause of the world because the world itself is not really an effect. Ajatavada. As against this, there are other philosophers which we, he indicated at the beginning of the chapter. They regard cause and effect as real. There is a real cause of the universe and the universe is a real effect, a product. Universe has been created. In fact, in all the theistic religions, one common thing about God is that God is the creator. Um, and the universe is the created and we are the created. We, the jivas, are created. This physical universe has been created. And who is the creator? Who is the cause of all of this? Creator is God. Philosophical language, we are the effect and uh, God is the cause. Cause and effect is real in these philosophies. And they try to justify it. We also saw what Gaudapada does. He refutes them. He has to refute. He has to show that those are not justified uh, approaches. They are not logical. Uh, he has to show the faults in those approaches. And that he does in the next next few verses, he will take it up. He has indicated in the beginning of the chapter that those philosophies are to be rejected. But uh, in detail, how are they to be rejected? What is the fault in their uh, approach? What are the different approaches? What are the different philosophies? And what is the fault? He will take it up verse by verse now. Basically, his target here is the Sankhya philosopher. Why it is so? Let me just say a few words. There are two major um, positions here, two major opponents. One is the Nyaya Vaisheshika school, I'm taking them together, Nyaya and Vaisheshika together. That's number one opponent. And second is Sankhya, or I can say Sankhya Yoga. Let's just say Sankhya. Sankhya school is the second opponent. What is the issue at stake here? The issue is both of them consider cause and effect to be real. There is a real cause and it produces a real effect, this universe. Gaudapada, of course, rejects that and he has to show why both are wrong. What is the difference between the two? We have, I'll just mention in brief, I have touched upon this at the beginning of the fourth chapter. 
The difference between the two is Asatkaryavada and Satkaryavada. The terms mean this. Karanam means cause. Karyam means effect. Cause effect. Now the question is the effect did it exist in some form in the cause or is it new? Let me repeat that. The effect, the thing which is produced, did it exist in the cause, pre-exist in the cause in some form or is it something novel, something new? So the plant, did it exist in the seed? The seed is the cause and the plant is the effect. Seed is karanam and plant is karyam. Did the plant, the karyam, pre-exist in the effect or is it something new? If you say no, it did not exist, it's something new, for the first time we are seeing it. Then non-pre-existence of the effect in the cause. Those who hold this position, they are called asat karya vadin. Karya, effect, asat, not real, not real before production. After production, it's there. So, not real before production, those who hold this position, who are they? Nyaya, Nayayikas and Vaisheshikas. Nyaya, Vaisheshika. Nyaya is the philosophy of Gautama Muni and Vaisheshika is the philosophy of Kanada Muni. So, they are the ones who uh, hold this position. Non-pre-existence of the effect in the cause. Asat Karyavada. And uh, the other, their great opponent is the Sat Karyavada. The Sankhya, Yoga philosophy also of Patanjali and Sankhya philosophy of Kapila. So what does the Sankhya say? No, no, the effect pre-exists in the cause. Not that there is actual plant in the seed. If you open up the seed, will you actually find um, leaves and uh, branches and fruits? No. But what you will find is in an unmanifest form, the plant is there in the seed. And that's a pretty scientific way of looking at it. Today we know because of our knowledge of genetics and DNA and all, we know that living beings, they pre-exist. Uh, the whole information which has gone to the making of a plant or our even our complex bodies and all, they all pre-existed in our gen genes, in our DNA. So, uh, it's the Sankhyans say that it is the manifestation of an unmanifest effect. What is causation? The cause has the effect already in an unmanifest form. The seed already has the plant in an unmanifest form. What happens, then what is production, what is causation? The cause itself becomes the effect. Cause is transformed into the effect. Uh, and not randomly, already the effect was there. All the information was there in the cause. So it just, the unmanifested effect manifests. That is called causation. Cause becomes effect, transformed into effect. So the seed becomes transformed into the plant. It's, the plant is not absolutely new or different from the seed. So these are the two uh, positions. The first position, Nyaya position, is easily dismissed. Actually, not so easily dismissed, but here Gaudapada has not paid much attention to it. There are serious objections against the Nyaya Vaisheshika position. Uh, for example, um, the, I mean, our our first objection we have all read science would be that. See the law of conservation of uh, matter and energy. We all learnt in school that no matter is ever really created or destroyed. What Einstein he did was just showed that matter can be converted. At the most destruction of matter means it's converted into energy. And uh, 
So, the law of conservation of matter became the law of conservation of matter and energy. At the most you can convert matter into energy and energy can again be uh, converted back into matter actually. So, the totality remains the same. When you say an effect, non-existing effect is created. Uh, the non-existing effect is, is um, uh, originated. And then uh, you are saying that that which did not exist at all has come into being. Uh, that is a little uh, illogical. Uh, that which does not exist, you can say it existed in some other form and then it came in this form. That is logical. But then that would become the Sankhyan theory. So, that is why, this is one reason why the Asat Karyavada seems a little illogical uh, because it violates our idea of that something cannot come out of nothing. Uh, it is something is transformed into something else. Even when say matter is destroyed totally, it becomes energy. Another subtle reason why the Asat Karyavada um, is a little um, uh, illogical is if you look at the language itself non-existent effect originates the effect did not exist earlier effect did not exist earlier the plant did not exist in the seed the curd did not exist in the milk and the pot did not exist in the in the clay it non-existent effect originates or non-existent effect is produced Look at the end of the sentence, originates, produced, these are verbs, these are verbs. So, the verb must qualify a subject, what, what is produced, what originates, what is created. So, in this case what is created, non-existent thing is created, so the, the, the subject is non-existent. You see, if you say um, the man is walking, so walking is a verb, it qualifies what subject, the man. So, the walking is a action which is qualifying an existing subject called the man. Man is walking. But if you say nobody is walking, so there, there is, that means there is no action at all. But there is walking, but there is nobody who is walking. You can never say that. That is silly. Walking is going on, but there is nobody who is walking. How can you say that? But it is the Nayaikas are saying something like that. Nayaikas are saying something like that. They are saying that... Um, non-existing effect originates. So, what is originating? That which does not exist. So, this is a subtle point, more grammatical than philosophical, but this is another way, it, there is a logical objection against uh, the Nyaya Vaisheshika school. But the Sankhya school is powerful. Sankhya school is especially also powerful because Vedanta is very close to Sankhya. In fact, Vedanta just might be seen as the next step after Sankhya and therefore, both Gaudapada and Shankara, they take great pains to refute, to cut down the Sankhya position because it is very easy to mix up Vedanta with Sankhya. For example, from clay, from clay alone pot is produced, clay is the cause and pot is the effect or from the seed the um, plant originates. Now, a lot of Vedantic language is like that. That from Brahman itself, the world, uh, world comes. Uh, uh, Upanishads speak in this language. Um, that um, uh, the, the, about this uh, from the spider, the the world uh, uh, originates. Mundaka Upanishad, 
यथाऊर्णनाजते गृहते चथा पृथिव्यामोषधय संभवती जस्टिने Just as from a living human body, hair emerges. Yatha satak purushat keshalomani. Hair and you know body and uh, hair they they all, all all originate from the living body. But it seems like sankhya, satkarya vada. What was already there is now becoming manifest. So this has to be clearly distinguished. That Advaita is not even saying this. Advaita Vedanta is making uh, a further distinction here, a more subtle point than the sankhya. So the Sankhya position is specially selected for uh, refutation. In the next few verses, Gaudapada will take up the Sankhya position. What is the Sankhya position? Satkaryavada. The effect was pre-existing in the cause. The pot was un- in unmanifest form, it was existing in the clay. The plant was in unmanifest form existing in the seed. Curds, unmanifest form existing in the milk. Or ornaments, unmanifest form existing in the uh, gold. And what is production? that which was unmanifest is now manifested that unmanifest part is now manifested what is manifestation it's nothing but the changing of the uh, cause itself into the effect what happens a new form comes it looks new you can when it milk becomes curd it looks new you can it tastes new so new properties emerge a new name is given pot curd uh, or necklace it's given this new name is given to the same substance but a new appearance new use is there new properties are there so these things are manifested which were already there so this is the sankhyan position satkaryavada now let us see what gaudapada says and remember what is all this in aid of what's the point the point is the the, the central advaita idea that the universe was never actually produced from from turiya Turiya is the only reality in the, this universe is an appearance. A good example is what Gaudapada gave in the second chapter, dream example. Dream example. Um, see, in the dream, a seed might be there and from the seed a plant is produced. Milk might be there and from milk curd is produced. These things might be there in the dream. But the dream as a whole, the entire thing which we are dreaming about, the whole thing is not there at all. it's an imagination in the mind after when we wake up when we look back at the dream we say none of that happened oh it was just a dream neither the milk became the curd nothing was there it, it just an appearance that's what the advaitin wants to say i'll make it even more clear the advaitin is actually not disputing it's not disputing that milk becomes curd the advaitin is not disputing that uh, from a plant uh, from a seed plants are coming out or human beings are born from the father and mother no all causation as it is happening in the world is fully accepted the advaitin never says that the uh, milk is real and the curd is an appearance that's silly the advaitin never says gold is real and the necklace is an appearance no in the in the world the whole sankhyan theory is accepted by advaita let me repeat that in the world in day to day life entire sankhyan satkaryavada is affect, accepted by advaita but what 
Advaitins object to is the Sankhyans say this entire universe is a product of the cause. What is cause? Prakriti. According to Sankhyans, Prakriti is the cause, nature. And from that the entire universe has been produced. How? By Satkarya Vada. Prakriti is really a cause, universe is really a product and it pre-existed in Prakriti uh, as, as uh, an unmanifest form, it is now manifest. Advaita Vedanta Gaudapada Shankara, here they say no. Here we part ways. It is more like the dream, where in the dream all your theories are admitted, Satkaryavada is admitted. But the entirety of the dream, whatever you see in the dream, the world that you see in the dream, the people and the objects and the happenings, and you yourself in the dream, they are all, they have not been produced by the dreamer's mind. They are appearances in the dreamer's mind. It's not actually that the dreamer's mind became people and objects and things. No. That's the very nature of a dream. It's an appearance. Like a, in the movie, if you see the movie, everything is admitted in the story. In the story, there are events, people, laws of nature, laws of science, even Sankhyan laws, Satkaryavad, everything can be admitted inside the movie. But the relationship between the screen and the movie itself, it's not Satkaryavada. It's not that the, that the screen became the hero and the heroine and the villain and the world and people and objects and, and events. No. The entirety of the movie appears in the screen. It's not a real transformation of the screen into, into the objects and people and events of the movie. Just like that, Turiya is not transformed into the world. Turiya is not transformed into individual beings like us. You are the Turiyam, you remain the Turiyam. This whole world is an appearance. So, Satkarya Vada is denied where? Advaita Vedanta denies Satkarya Vada between the reality Turiyam and the world and Jeevas. Universe and Jeevas on one hand and Turiya, there is no connection of Satkarya Vada between them. But inside the universe, Satkarya Vada is admitted. Whatever theory, or we can replace it with modern scientific theories, no problem. Advaita has no objection. Whatever theory works for you, you are welcome to it according to Advaita. But only provision is the whole universe as a whole, I mean, taken the universe as a whole, the theory does not apply to it. It's an appearance. Or to put it even more briefly, whatever theory works for you, you are welcome to it, Satkarya Vada or modern scientific theories. Only thing that we say is, the whole thing is false. <laughs> the whole thing is an appearance. That's what Advaita Vedanta wants to say. Uh, as we go into these objections, what are the objections against Satkarya Vada? Let me just take a look. Some people have raised uh, questions, hands. So, Shashank, can you? Yes. Ramya? Yes. Uh, yeah, Pranam Swamiji. Yes. Yes. So Sankhyans hold Prakriti responsible for the entire universe. Purusha is us. Each of us, we are a separate um, pure consciousness. Not one pure consciousness, but each of us is separate Purusha. Purusha does not mean male or female. It's, it just means being. So each of us is, a, is consciousness and separate pure consciousness. The rest of this universe, the external universe, our bodies, minds, they are all products of Prakriti. 
and they were all a pre-existing in Prakriti in an unmanifest form. So, what is creation? The projection of the universe from Prakriti, from unmanifest to manifest, from Abhyakta to Vyakta, that is projection. So, in Sanskrit actually we do not say creation, we say Srishti. So, Srishti is projection of the universe from Prakriti. And the Purusha, we, us, as long as we are in this unenlightened state, we go from life to li lifetime, uh, getting attached to the products of Prakriti. What is the product of Prakriti? Body-mind. So, we are, we are attached to one particular mind and from lifetime to lifetime, we keep having different bodies. And this is the story of our life until, this is, this is Sankhya, not Advaita, until we get knowledge. What is knowledge? The difference between Prakriti and, and Purusha. That I am pure consciousness. This whole world is Prakriti. I am Drashta, this is Drishya. And you will say Drashta, Drishya, it reminds me of Advaita. So, entire Drashta, Drishya approach is borrowed from um, Sankhya. Sankhya is actually the people who have got the, uh, what, what do you call? The patent on it. Uh, so, we have borrowed from them. Uh, so, we are, you are the witness consciousness and the entirety of the universe, including the so-called you, the body, the you, the individual being, they are all parts of Prakriti actually. So, Prakriti and Purusha together make this universe possible. That's the Sankhyan worldview. Uh, is, is that what you are asking? That is Prakriti. See, the Prakriti of Sankhya becomes the Maya of uh, Vedanta. What, uh, what the Vedanta did was, the, it took the Purusha, that means pure consciousness, and Prakriti which is separate. Prakriti is matter, is material, jada, in Sankhya. What um, Advaita did was, it brought the two together. Instead of saying that there is a separate Prakriti which creates the universe, it says Prakriti is the power of consciousness. So, Prakriti is now called Maya. When consciousness is associated with Maya and it is responsible for the creation, let me put this way, creation or projection of the universe, it is called Ishvara. Consciousness associated with Maya, Ishvara. The definitions of God. What is the definition of God in Advaita Vedanta? Maya Upahita Chaitanya. Consciousness associated with Maya. This Mayan is nothing but the Prakriti. How, how do you know? What is Maya made of? Sattva Rajasthamas. What is Prakriti made of? Sattva Rajasthamas. In Sankhya, Prakriti and Purusha are independent entities. They interact. But Prakriti can exist without Purusha. Purusha can exist without Prakriti. Whereas in Advaita, Purusha or Brahman is the only reality and Maya is dependent on Brahman. Maya is the power of Brahman and also dependent on Brahman. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Um, other questions? Other questions? Hello? Yes, I can hear you. This is Girish. Uh, I had a question about Sankhya, but also since we are discussing refuting of other philosophies, I'd like to bring up Western philosophies as well, if, if I may. Clearly, Sankhya is dualist. Yes. Uh, and, and, but my question was about Spinoza. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so the pantheism of, of Spinoza. Is that, is that dualist? Is, 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 I guess what I'm trying to get at is which Western philosophy is closest to non-dual? It seems to me 
I would say so. Spinoza, the closest Spinoza gets, as far as I know or understand Spinoza, is closest it gets to Vedanta is uh, to Vishishta Dvaita Vedanta, the organic unity of the entire universe. So the divinity um, expresses itself as this universe. This universe is divine. Um, in a crude way, it would lead to a problem. The problem is that if Brahman becomes this universe, which is what pantheism would like to say, though I, though I actually doubt whether Spinoza um, uh, you know, was saying something like crude pantheism, that is a little doubtful. His position was a little more sophisticated than that. Um, the problem with pantheism is this. If Brahman has become this universe, if table, chair, uh, body, mind, all of this is Brahman. Brahman, whatever it was, right now what is Brahman? Brahman is what you see around you, just like it is there, table, chair and all. Then what good is it? Two problems. Brahman then becomes um, affected by every problem of the world. Sorrow, suffering, sin, karma. That is one problem. The second pro problem is um, linguistic. Why call it Brahman then? Just call it the universe. If, the, if God is exactly this universe, right now, at this point, at one point he might have been uh, the transcendent divine, but right now if this is the identity of God, that it is this universe, then just call it a universe. Why call it God? And just let it be a material universe and do science. Why even talk about God and, and theology and whatnot? Uh, again, Spinoza, as far as I know, had a more sophisticated position than this. And there is a variation to this pantheism which is called panentheism. That is closest to Advaita, Brahma, uh, Advaita Vedanta. Panentheism is uh, the divine is expressed as this world or the divine is reflected in this world. What is the advantage of that? The, the disadvantages of the world, sin and sorrow and uh, defects and limitations, they do not affect the original which is the divine. Just that the sun may be reflected in water, but the impurity of the water does not affect the, um, the real sun. Similarly, so the world is like a mirror in which the divine is reflected. The advantage is, then all the aspects of the divine are present in this reflection, like Advaita Vedanta, that is closest to Advaita Vedanta, still not as sophisticated as the Advaitic position. But I'm glad you asked. Recently, I discovered this uh, Western philosopher, Timothy Sprigg. TLS Sprague. Let me write the name down in um, in the chat. Um, let me see. Yes, TLS Sprague. He was an Oxford-educated uh, philosopher. Worked in England, I think, University of Essex. But wh why is important is I was amazed to see that in today's world. Just recently, he was there in the late 19, uh, 20th century, in the, up to the 19, I think he passed away in the 1990s or something, or uh, somewhere clo close to that. He was working up to the 1980s or early 1990s. A completely committed idealist. I thought in Western philosophy, you know, like this total idealism and Hegelian kind of idealism or Schopenhauer's kind of idealism had gone out of fashion at the end of the 19th century, beginning of 20th century. Probably Bradley was the last one or uh, T.H. Green was the last one. But no, here is somebody in 1980s or 1990s working in uh, Oxford and in Wessex, um, writing wonderful books, um, the, the Triumph of Absolute Idealism. That's one of his books, a very difficult book. I found it's difficult to get. I got one copy in the, uh, the 
New York Public Library. I've struggled through one chapter, but I, I realize it takes a lot of time and energy to understand that book. But what he has done is, uh, he says, if you take up Spinoza, he's especially Spinoza, but also Hegel and Schopenhauer and Berkeley, George Berkeley, uh, subjective idealism, and Kant. So he takes up all of these um, Western philosophers, um, German, British, uh, English language and, and continental philosophers uh, who are idealistic or have elements of idealism, even Nietzsche to some extent. And he combines them into a system and he says, there is really no way you can refute this. And, and so anyway, my point was somebody so recent in Western philosophy. Um, so I got one of his books is accessible just if you are interested, 10 Theories of Existence. So I'm reading that now. Uh, out of those, I think 10 theories of existence, yeah, probably. Out of those theories, uh, one is called, one is materialism and all the rest are idealistic theories. <laughs> so you can see what he likes. Um, recently, I was talking to, just yesterday, Professor Arindam Chakravarti, you know, who gave the talk uh, in our um, Vedanta Society and recently gave a wonderful talk on Kashmir Shaivism. Were you there in that uh, Kashmir Shaivism talk? No. Uh, so, I asked him because he studied in uh, in uh, Oxford, I think. Oxford. He studied. Uh, he he was taught by Peter Strawson and Michael Dummett. So I asked him that. Did, did you know this gentleman, T. L. Sprig? I'm really impressed by his uh, take on idealism. And he was so enthusiastic. He says yes. This old gentleman, he loved me so much that uh, when I went there first, I stayed at his house. And uh, um, I said, when I mentioned the name, uh, Professor Chakravarti, excitedly, he said, Ore baba, khub Advaita Bhakta. He is a wonderful, he is a great devotee of Advaita Vedanta. He became very interested in Advaita Vedanta. He asked all the questions to uh, um, um, Arindam Chakravarti, came to India, met Swami Lokeshwaranji. There's a particular Shiva temple in which he used to go and meditate. Arindam <laughs> Chakravarti told me all these things. Anyway, that's a uh, diversion. Yeah, Spinoza is, is very close. Taken at face value, closer to Vishishta Advaita. Um, yeah. Is there any other? Uh, yes. Huh. Uh, yes. Namaste, Swamiji. Namaste. In an unmanifest form, yes. Unmanifest form. So Prakriti created everything. So then who created Prakriti or how do they deal with Ah, and thank you for uh, asking this question because now we can go back. I can use this question to segue into Gaudapada. So these are some of the objections that Gaudapada will naturally have. Uh, let's let's go then. Let's go there. Um, yeah, the other people ask, are raising the hand. Let's wait, wait. Let's do a few objections to Satkaryavada. Then we will see how we, where we stand. Um, it is true, there are these objections. Just one point before we go ahead. Remember, these objections which he will have to Satkaryavada, uh, these are not the arguments given by, uh, originally developed by Gaudapada. Actually, these are, um, you remember Gaudapada's special technique of argumentation was, he played off the schools against each other. So, all the arguments against Satkaryavada, which we will see now, 
are um, uh, the arguments developed by the Nyaya Vaisheshikas, Nyayikas and Vaisheshikas against the Sankhyans. Simply he just brings forth those arguments and throws them at the Sankhyans. So let's see some of those arguments. Remember, Sankhyan position, Prakriti is the cause of this universe. Prakriti is real, universe is real, Prakriti produces this universe. How? Uh, the universe pre-existed in Prakriti in an unmanifest form and has now become a manifest form. The Prakriti itself is eternal, unborn, undying. Prakriti goes on forever, uh, eternal Prakriti. And the universe is born and it dies. When it is born, it is said to be produced. Effect, unmanifest effect becomes manifested effect. What is destruction? The manifested effect becomes unmanifested. In the Gita also it says, from abhyakta it becomes vyakta, from vyakta to abhyakta. That is the whole cycle of the cosmos. So that's the uh, uh, Sankhyan idea. What does Gaudapada have to say against it? So these things we have read again and again. In fact, it's that's why it seems Advaita Vedanta is um, supporting these views. But no, so we have to carefully distinguish Advaita Vedanta from this. We read all throughout in Hinduism that uh, um, Ishwara. Um, projects this universe, you know, Srishti, Stiti, Layakarta, that's the de very definition of Ishwara. And Gaudapada is cutting down all those things. Um, so here Prakriti is the, uh, is the cause of the universe. Now what is Gaudapada saying? Let's see verse number 11. Karanam yasya vai karyam, karanam tasya jayate, jayamanam katham ajam, Bhinnam nityam katham chatat. So let me read the English. The cause must undergo birth according to one who holds that the cause itself is the effect. How can a thing be birthless that takes birth and how can it be eternal when it can be subject to disintegration? This is Gambiranji's translation. What is said here? According to, Prakri uh, according to Sankhya, Satkarya Vada, cause and effect are the same thing. Uh -huh. Cause is transformed into the effect. Milk and curd are the same thing. It is milk alone, that is the substance which becomes curds. Clay and pot are the same thing. It is that lump of clay itself which is transformed into the pot. So, Prakriti itself is transformed into universe. Right or wrong, the Sankhyan has to say yes, that is true. That is what we are trying to say. Karanam yasya vai karyam. Now you understand. Karanam means cause and karyam means effect. Yasya. For those philosophers who? Sankhyans. For those philosophers for whom cause itself is the effect. Cause itself becomes the effect. Karanam tasya jayate. For them they must admit that the cause itself has been born. Because according to Satkaryavada what happens? The birth of the effect is just manifestation of the pre-existing effect. The cause itself is transformed into the effect. Now, he says, Jayamanam katham majam. You are saying, number one, Sankhya says, you Sankhya, you are saying, number one, Prakriti is eternal. Neither born nor dies. Second, you are saying, cause is born and cause dies. I mean, that means cause, I mean sorry, effect is born and effect dies. The universe is born from Prakriti and universe goes back into Prakriti. That is the death of the universe. 
and third you are saying it is the cause alone which is transformed into the effect. Now do you see the illogicality of the, if you put them all together, cause is eternal, prakriti is eternal, neither born nor dies. Effect is born and it dies and birth and death of the effect is nothing but the manifestation of the pre-existing effect from the cause and going back to the cause again, that is the birth and death of the effect. And third you are saying it is the cause alone which becomes the effect. The cause is transformed into the effect. So if cause and effect are the same thing, how can you say cause is unborn and undying and effect is born and dying? Cause unborn undying is equal to effect born and dying, how can it be both born and uh, unborn? How can it be undying and dying? So he says, Jayamanam Kathamajam, that which is born, what is born? Cause is born as the effect. Kathamajam, how is it unborn? And if it is transformed, bhinnam, bhinnam means means disintegrated, that means it actually, uh, prakriti is transformed into universe. There is a change. If there is a change, nityam katham chatat, how does it, how is it eternal? It is certainly subject to birth and death. It comes into being as this universe, is transformed, uh, we are born, prakriti itself. The unborn prakriti is born as the body, for example, this body. It is born, it ages, it disease, old age, death. Whose? Your prakriti itself. You have just said it is un unchanging and eternal. How is it possible? So do you see the contradiction? Um, either you have to say it is subject to change, in which case you cannot say it is changeless and eternal. Or you have to say it is uh, changeless and eternal, in which case what will happen is the next verse, it will say, in that case the effect Universe will also become eternal. Universe and Prakriti are the same. If Prakriti is really eternal and universe is same as Prakriti, then universe will also become eternal. There will be that uh, whatever exists will become immortal then, which is a very silly thing to say. All beings, we are obviously subject to birth and death. Verse number 12, just see. Just the opposite defect. What was the first defect? The first defect is your eternal Prakriti, Nityam, Unborn Prakriti will be subject to birth and death, if it is the same as the changing effect world. The opposite problem will be, the changing world, the effect, that will become immortal then, if it is the same as the immortal Prakriti, uh, the unborn Prakriti. Number 12. Karanadyadyananyatvam Atah karyam ajam yadi jayamanadhivai karyad karanam te katham dhruvam. Number 12. So let me see the translation. Translation. If, this number 12, according to you, the effect, that means the universe, be non different from the cause, cause means prakriti, then on that for that reason, the effect, universe, that too becomes birthless, because Prakriti is birthless. And if that be so, how can your cause be still eternal? How can the cause, the Prakriti remain eternal? Because it is non-different from the effect. Effect means universe, which is subject to birth. So both ways, either say both are immortal or you say both are changing. But you cannot do that. The whole idea of cause and effect is Prakriti is, uh, is unchanging and eternal. And the world is changing, is born and it dies. 
bodies are born and age and die you are caught in you know two irreconcilable things how does advaita reconcile them for advaita no problem because the reality is only turiya the un- unborn ajam turiya eternal turiya can very well serve as the background for the appearance and disappearance of the universe appearance and disappearance of the universe does not affect the turiyam itself yeah so this is karanad yadi ananyatvam if ad, if it is if the effect is same as the karana uh, karya is same as the karana effect is same as the cause then the effect will also become ajam unborn because you have said that the cause is eternal and your effect and cause are the same and the second line is exactly repetition of the first fault jayamana if the if a cause is born then uh, how can you say that the cause remains unchanging it uh, prakriti remains uh, prakriti remains eternal yes so this is a defect um in the satkaryavada these are two defects what are the two defects one if you identify prakriti and the universe cause and effect then either the cause will become subject to change Uh, subject to non eternity cause will become born and it will die or the opposite will happen the effect will become eternal uh, neither born nor dying both of which that means causality will not work according to satkaryavada that's the whole point again let me remind you gaudapada's objection is to the ultimate causality whole universe is produced from prakriti that gaudapada objects to he does not object to milk becoming curd or seed becoming plant there if you want to apply satkaryavada no problem clay becoming pot no problem and you can go ahead uh, let me just state the advaita position the advaita position is brahma vivarta prakriti parinama let me repeat brahma vivarta prakriti parinama what does it mean the whole universe with from the from brahman's perspective whole universe is an appearance just as the snake is an appearance in the rope not that the rope has actually become a snake the snake is an appearance in the rope this appearance is called vivarta once you admit the appearance it it appears in the appearance there is parinama that is satkaryavada is admitted um okay i've introduced number of terms let me clarify the original term satkaryavada is simple that the effect is pre-existing somehow in the cause the plant is pre-existing somehow in the cause the seed all right now this cause and effect relationship can be of two types actually here in satkaryavada within satkaryavada also advaita also admits satkaryavada and uh, sankhya also admits satkaryavada but the advaitic satkaryavada is little different the, the two types of satkaryavada are this one is the sankhyan satkaryavada which we have been discussing till now cause is transformed into the effect the milk is transformed into the curd curd actual transformation takes place so this is called parinama parinama means transformation actual transformation something is changing so parinama vada parinama vada is what is one variety of satkarya vada but what is the other option the other option is without any actual change it appears as the effect so rope snake is also there in the rope but only as an appearance the rope only appears as the snake without actually becoming a snake 
the desert only appears as the mirage water without actually becoming water. There is no change in the rope. Looks like snake. Mistake. Illusion. There is no change in the desert. Looks like water. There is no actual change of the mind into anything in the dream. But the entirety of the dream, people and places and objects and events are all produced and experienced. Appearance. That is called vivatta. Vivartha. So there are two. One is Parinama, one is Vivartha. Sankhya is Parinama Vada. Advaita is Vivartha Vada. Let me re repeat. Sankhya holds that actually Prakriti is transformed into the universe. Advaita holds that Maya, Advaita holds that Brahman is not actually transformed into the universe. Turiya does not become actually waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. Turiya appears as waker and waker's world. Dreamer and dreamer's world and deep sleeper and the potential world of the, the darkness of deep sleep. When I say universe, what does universe mean in Mandukya? It means waking universe, dream universe plus the, the karana, causal, the potential of the deep sleep. These are appearances. Actually, Turiyam has not become these things. This is called Vivartavada. Advaitins, Vivartavada. Sankhya, Parinamavada. Advaita has a severe objection to Sankhya, Parinama, Vada at the ultimate level. So from Brahman, if you say universe has emerged, Brahman has been transformed into the universe. So that, that's where uh, Advaita would object to Spinoza. Advaita would object to Spinoza there um, where uh, Spinoza says God has become this universe. So Spinoza, you know, uh, he was... Um, ostracized and persecuted by Christians and also his own Jewish community, Baruch Spinoza, is Jewish. Uh, he was in um, Amsterdam, Girishi. Yes, Amsterdam, yeah. So, this is something unacceptable. Again, little side note here. You know why it is unacceptable to Jews or to Christians or even Muslims? Because what theory of causation do they hold? They don't use these terms, but what theory do they hold in our discussion? They hold that earlier theory of the Nayaikas, Asatkaryavada, creation out of nothing. God remaining separate from the universe, out of nothing the universe was created. So they, all the Abrahamic religions hold that. And that is of course simply dismissed uh, as illogical. Spinoza saw this great defect and he said, where, from where can the universe be produced except from God? Because God is the only thing that exists. So from God only this universe is produced. Then God must have been transformed into the universe. That is the Sankhyan idea. Also Vishishta Dvaita idea. Dvaita, Vishishta Dvaita, all of them, they say this. Advaita does not agree. Advaita says, in Brahman, universe appears. Not that Brahman is transformed into universe. So now this is the meaning of the phrase, Brahma vivarta prakriti parinama or maya parinama. You can use the word maya parinama. Brahma vivarta maya parinama. What is this universe? Appearance in Brahman. Brahma vivarta. And transformation of maya. Maya is transformed into the universe, but maya is not ultimately real. So there is no real, ultimately real universe. We may use all these complicated terms, but just about every villager in India says these things. When they say, sab maya hai. Is exactly what it means, uh, what we are saying here. Saying here. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Questions in chat. Just mean, uh, all right. Let's take. Let me do one more objection. Verse number thirteen. Objection to uh, Sankhya. Um, I have given two objections. One more, third objection to Sankhya, to the Parinama Vada of Sankhya or Satkarya Vada of Sankhya. This objection is a little technical. Mm, let me quickly go through it. Verse number thirteen. What is this? Is a further objection to Sankhya? And remember, all these objections were developed by the opponents of the Sankhya, the Nyaya Vaisheshikas. Verse number thirteen. Ajadvaijayate yasya drishtantas drishtantas tasya nasti vai jatachajayamanasya navyavastha prasajyate. Let us see the translation. Gambiranji's translation. The disputant has certainly no supporting illustration who holds that the effect is produced out of an unborn cause. If the produced effect is held to be born out of another born thing, that too leads to no solution. Okay, that might sound very mystifying, but it's not actually. It requires a little background. According to the Sankhyans, Prakriti, the source of this universe, is inferred. You might ask, how do the Sankhyans know that Prakriti is the source of the universe? They say they have an inference. They logically reason it out. Now, inference, here Gaudapada will at attack the inference of the Sankhya. See, inference in Indian logic is of this form. I haven't mentioned it earlier also, let me repeat. Inference is of this form. Um, Parvato vanniman dhumat. Yatra yatra dhuma tatra tatra vanni yatha mahanase. So, what does it mean? Inference is always based on observed data. So, all our scientific work is based on inference. Mm, lot of our research in social sciences everywhere is based on inference. Even our common day-to-day -day activity is also based on inference. What does it mean? The example is this, classic example. There is fire on the hill because I see smoke. Wherever there is smoke, there is fire. Just like I saw in the kitchen. Now, what does this mean? You see, there are certain cases where we get knowledge by seeing. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, uh, touching, we get this knowledge. Directly by our sense organs. That's one kind of knowledge called pratyaksha. But a lot of knowledge which we have, like in science, on many things in day-to-day -day life also, we do not actually see it or hear it, but based upon what we see and hear, we make an inference. We reason it out. In Western logic, Aristotelian logic, this is the classic example is, uh, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Now, whether Socrates is mortal, you did not check. But you know that all men are mortal. You know that Socrates is a man. Now, you put these two together, you can infer that Socrates is also mortal. In Indian logic, uh, this logic is developed by Nyaya. So, Nyaya school. It is the same kind of inference, but you notice one slight difference. In the Greek logic, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, and therefore Socrates is mortal. Done. In Indian logic, if you put it in these terms, wherever there is smoke, there is fire. There is smoke on the hilltop, so there is fire on the hilltop. This would be the form. 
But one additional thing is added in the Indian uh, Anumana, in Indian inference. Anumana means inference. One additional element is there that is called Udaharana. Udaharana means example. So when you give any reasoning in Nyaya logic or Indian logic, you have to give an example. You say, from a distance you see smoke and you infer there is fire on that, that hill, there is smoke on the hill, so there must be fire there. How do you know? You have not seen the fire. How do you know? How, why? You have to ask the reason. Hey, tu, what is the reason? The reason is wherever there is smoke, there is fire. How do you know that? Because I have seen it earlier. The two I have seen together. This is very vital. Smoke and fire I have seen together earlier. Uh, where? In the kitchen. I have seen both smoke and fire together in the kitchen. And so I know wherever there is smoke, there is fire. Now I am seeing only smoke. And therefore, I sent the fire trucks there. Yeah. There is smoke coming out. Fifth Avenue. I don't know if there is, but uh, right now it may be there because of the rioting. Now the fire truck will rush there because somebody is burning something. Um, and so the fire truck has to rush there. Now fire brigade did not see the fire. They saw only the smoke. By smoke, they inferred fire. Why? Because they know that smoke and fire are connected. This connection of smoke and fire is called Vyapti. Vyapti is a technical term, very big term in Nyaya philosophy. Books and books have been written because you can see whole inference, it turns on this Vyapti, this connection. If you can establish logically, if you can establish beyond doubt, smoke and fire are connected, then by seeing one you can infer the other. If there is smoke, there will be fire, not the opposite. Wherever there is smoke, there is fire, just as in the kitchen. So, this part is if it's more or less clear. Let me see what is the objection that Gaudapada has to the Sankhyans. The Sankhyans, they say that they infer the existence of Prakriti. Why? Um, they, they, have, they give certain reasons. Now, Gaudapada says, from the cause and effect that we see in the world, you cannot infer, uh, infer a cause which, ha, uh, which, is, you know, which is not also an effect. All the causes that we see in the world are also effects. Um, seed is the cause of the plant. Seed is the cause, plant is the effect. But seed also is an effect. Seed is produced by the earlier plant. And you can say the seed itself is an effect of the earth element, Prithivi Tattva. So, seed also is an effect of something else and that earth element is also an effect. Ultimately, Sankhyans go back to the first cause, Prakriti, which is not an effect of anything. From that, all the effects have come. Everything has been produced by Prakriti. Prakriti is the original cause. And remember, we are talking about Sankhya, but the same logic is later used by all the theistic uh, philosophies, which say God is the first cause. In Christianity, in Islam, in Judaism, Vaishnavism, uh, Shaktaism, God is the first cause. What is the cause of God? No cause of God. God is causeless cause. God is the first cause. God has no further cause. When children keep on asking, uh, who made the universe? Who made the world? God made the world. Who made God? So there the philosophers stop. God, or in the case of Sankhya, Prakriti is the first cause. There is no cause of Prakriti. Now, Gaudapada objects here, or at least it's a, it's a Nyaya Vaisheshik objection which he brings forth here. He says, wherever, whatever we have observed 
all the cases of cause and effect, all the causes themselves also have been effects. They have also been produced. See, anything that you show, whether it's milk and curd or uh, clay and pot, everything, even the cause, clay or the milk, is also an effect. It has its own cause. And that cause has its own cause. We have never ever found uh, a causeless cause. A cause which is only a cause and not an effect itself. Every cause that we have found is an effect. You see, where did this body come from? It's an effect from my father and mother. But father and mother are also not only cause of this body, but they are also effects of their father and mother. Uh, every seed, we say it's a cause, but the seed is also an effect of the earlier tree. And that's an effect of the earlier seed and so on. So we have never actually come across any example of a causeless cause, of a first cause. Now you see what is the objection. You see, if you try to make an inference about Prakriti, there must be a first cause. What problem will you land up? He says, 13th verse, Drishtantaha tasya nasti vai. You will not be able to find an example. What is this problem of example? In Indian, in Indian logic, an example has to be provided. You cannot only give a, um, this vyapti. You have to give an example. Where did you see such a thing? Uh, smoke and fire are connected. Where did you see? In the kitchen, in the stove, uh, in the match. I mean, I light a matchstick, the smoke and the fire. Uh, in the incense stick, smoke and fire is there. So I know the connection of smoke and fire. I can give you many examples. Just like that, this case also is true. But in this case of Prakriti, what example can you give? There is no Drishtanta. No example is there. So Gaudapada says, Drishtantaha tasya nasti vai. For those who argue that uh, from an unborn cause, causeless cause, the entire universe is produced, from Prakriti, the entire universe is produced, you cannot give, a, give an example in this world of experience. Now, if, if the Sankhyans say, all right, I will, I will admit then, let Prakriti also be produced. Let Prakriti also be a cause. Um, it has its own cause. It is produ produced by some Mahaprakriti or Mahakaran or something like that. Then the same question will be there. That Mahaprakriti or that, that original Prakriti, uh, which is before your Prakriti, what is the cause of that? Is that without cause or with cause? Then it will lead to what is called regresses ad infinitum. In Sanskrit, it is anavastha dosha, infinite regress. I hope I am making sense. I am having fun <laughs> at your expense maybe. So, um, you cannot infer the creation of the universe, anumana, inference cannot be done because there is no example of a causeless cause and in the uh, syllogism, the uh, inferential structure, you must provide an example. If you say that, alright, I give up the position that Prakriti has, is causeless, suppose Prakriti also has a cause, it will lead to infinite regress then. In both ways, you cannot provide prove that Prakriti is a cause. Remember, in, from Gaudapada, in, in Gaudapada's mind, the idea is that Brahman or Turiyam is not a cause at all. So, any theory of causation, he will find a fault with it. Okay. Up to this. So, these are the defects in the Sankhya position. Let me see the questions quickly. Sashank? So, you are looking at the chat, Manak? So the Let me look at the chat. chat. Yes. So yeah. The question is, how does science dispute this? Because everything in science starts only with Big Bang, of which they do not know the origin of. Yes. So, there is this book I mentioned once, 
why does the world exist? Mm, what's the name of the... Jim Holt. Jim Holt, yes, Jim Holt's book. Very entertainingly written, very nice. So there he goes to different physicists, cosmologists, philosophers also, mathematicians, computer scientists, um, uh, and theologians, uh, cosmologists like Roger Penrose and others. And he asked this question, how does this universe come into existence? Why does this universe exist at all? So you'll be amazed to see, if you now know this Satkaryavada of Sankhya, you'll be amazed to see more or less everything is a variety of Satkaryavada. That it is produced from some pre-existing cause. That transforms itself into the universe. So everything can be traced back, for example, to the Big Bang. So that's one, more than one chapter is there about that. But why did the Big Bang itself happen? So there, uh, I don't understand this. Uh, Abhijit unders will understand much more than me. Uh, quantum tunneling, uh, what? Quantum vacuum or something that uh, he talks about, where these uh, uh, particles, it's, they say it's teeming with virtual particles. They're not actually existent. They're possibilities. Uh, and uh, they pop in and out of existence for infinitesimal um, periods of time, flashes. And in this popping in and out of existence, one of those things becomes somehow the Big Bang. So, I'm making a mess out of it. But, I, but now, when this was first proposed, a Christian theologian said, see, this is our creation out of nothing. Nothing was there from that Big Bang came. So, Nayaikas would have been excited. Asatkaryavada, from non-existent effect comes into being this existent effect. Asatkaryavada. But when I read that, my first feeling was that that space, the quantum probability space, what they're calling it, a quantum tunneling effect, whatever they're calling calling it, that's not nothing. That's not absolute nothing. Even if you say it's it's a space of um, mathematical prob probabilities with um, almost non-existent particles flashing into into and out of existence in infinitesimal periods of time, even then that's really not nothing. That's a lot of mathematics there to describe nothing. So, um, it is from something that something has come. How do you trace that back? You can't. Um, there is there's no, no way. <laughs> um, one of the chapters is it from bit. So, from information, it means physical objects and bit means from information only. So, from computer science. So, so, from just from information, the whole universe may have come. That, what that means, I don't know. Uh, it from bit. One example he gives is, the whole of mathematics can come from zero. See, zero is just zero, nothing. But plus one and minus one is still zero. Uh, you can get, if you get the entire series of negative integers and entire series of positive integers, it's still zero together. But now you have positive integers and, inti and negative integers. You can do a lot of mathematics with that. A lot of things become possible, although the sum total is still zero. So, th that is one, one example he gives. Very interesting book though. Uh, this last semester at, at uh, Harvard, we had a very interesting talk by Brian Greene. Uh, he's a well-known cosmologist. You know, he, he has got this PBS series also, Elegant Universe, The Fabric of the Cosmos. Um, he has written a new book, The End of Time, I think, yeah. So, for the book launch, he came to uh, Harvard and he gave a talk. And uh, it was amazing that 
just for a book launch the entire hall was packed several hundred people and he's a fantastic teacher he's a professor in columbia here um, within a few minutes he just summarized the basic arguments of his book this is sort of the culmination of his thinking about cosmology same uh, same question how did the universe originate and what's beyond or before the big bang so um thinking what did he say i can't summarize i'm not not do i do i did get the book and but the interesting thing is in the book he talks about vedanta uh his brother became a monk um uh, an iskon monk and he said he used to have interesting discussions with his brother and one of the questions in the q and a was this uh, what do you think about this ancient ideas in the in the vedas about the creation of the universe of course nobody actually mentioned satkaryavada satkaryavada but anyway so he said i don't think those are scientific theories but they are like poetic equivalents he said that he said it's like a poetic echo of our present scientific thinking um and he said i once asked the dalai lama bran green he asked the dalai lama do you think buddhism so dalai lama buddhism do you think buddhism can say something about the universe about cosmology and the dalai lama thought for a moment and he said to brian green that i think as far as consciousness and mind are concerned buddhism has a lot to say but as far as the external world is concerned we shall look to you and your colleagues for answers yeah mm. i don't know if i answered that at all oh one more point jim holt why the real reason why i bought up jim holt is this in jim holt's book at towards the end i was just thinking does he ever bring up advaita he does uh he went to meet uh, nozick robert nozick was a very well known philosopher of mind in usa who passed away a few years ago talking about how does the world originate and consciousness originate and all that and robert nozick told him about advaita vedanta so he has just one paragraph that perhaps the ancient hindus were right after all after dismissing all the theories in mathematics cosmology and all of that uh, philosophy finally says perhaps the ancient hindus were right that the universe is just an appearance in brahman and then he says but that's too crazy and then he go moves on <laughs> uh, so he does not consider that seriously back to again cosmology okay quickly three people have raised their hand Yes. So seemingly it looks closer to the Buddhist philosophy where they also reject the objects of the world. Correct. And that's why Gaudapada has often been accused of being a Buddhist. Even Shankaracharya is accused of being a Prachanna Bauddha, a crypto Buddhist. Uh, a Buddhist in in <laughs> disguise. Yeah, so there is a whole school of Buddhism which re- uh, regards the world of objects as uh, being in the mind. vigyanavada but advaita vedanta is different from vigyanavada agorapada will reject that theory also it will come but yes it's in the same direction um, buddhist have the same direction as as agorapada um in fact towards the end of the discussion with brian green thing became pretty crazy um somebody oh he himself raised the topic of is this universe we are living in is it a dream 
So one theory is, of course, uh, it's a theory that uh, Elon Musk himself supports. It's a paper by a, a mathematician philosopher long ago, actually, uh, several years ago, where the idea is that um, the concept of virtual universes, like you create on a computer game in a computer. Uh, now, imagine there is a civilization advanced enough where they have very powerful computers and they can really create a very, a very uh, realistic universe. That means simulate it in the computer. It will feel very real. It'll look, everything will look very real, very detailed. Um, now, if you consider the, it's, it's basically a, a statistical approach. If you consider the number of planets in the universe, it's quite possible that many of them have life. And if you consider that if many, many have life, some of them would be very advanced and far advanced. Of uh, It requires just one very advanced civilization where there will be many such computers. Then they show in probability that the probability that virtual universe it is much more probable than an actual universe. He, Brian Greene joked that it takes a lot of work actually to build an actual universe, uh, whereas virtual universe is pretty easy. So, now this universe we are existing in, is this a virtual universe simulated in the computer of some advanced civilization? Maybe a child in some advanced civilization is playing a computer game just before lunch. Uh, and we are all part of that game only, played by a little kid in some, some alien planet. What is the probability that this universe is virtual versus the probability this universe we are living in is actual? So the probability that the universe will be virtual is much more than the probability that this is an actual universe. There is, there is an actual universe, but uh, of all the universes which are experienced, it's much more probable that you're living in a virtual universe than in an actual universe. So we are all existing until that alien kid's mother calls him for lunch, him, her, it, and moment he switches off the computer, we are all gone then. <laughs> so. And he says, and Elon Musk says that I believe that we are living in a virtual universe. It's not a real universe we are living in. I wonder how different is that from Gaudapada or the Buddhist philosophers. Then next, who is there? Rekha Kalekar. Yes, Rekha ji. Rekha ji, are you yes. muted? Gaudapada being a little unfair. Hmm. Because, uh, you, are, you are unmanifest now. <laughs> but can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. You are a voice without form. <laughs> Swami Vivekananda said that I may give up this body, but I shall remain a voice without form. <laughs> now you now you have you have become manifest. So you have like from um uh, Satkaryavada, from unmanifest you have become manifest. Yes. Hmm. Which is uh, a cosmos cause hmm. of, uh, you know, everything in a sense. Yes. So, uh, I mean, uh, how come he supports naturally Maya, but uh, he criticizes uh, Sankhya? Yes. There is a vital difference between the Maya of Advaita and the Prakriti of, um, of uh, Sankhya. The Prakriti of Sankhya is supposed to be real. The Maya of Advaita is not real. So, neither Maya is real nor are its products real. So, if you say, how, if you ask, how can the mind become, in itself, become a building, a sky and a earth and a million people and so many events? The answer is no, it does not become a buildings and, you know, lakes and skies and people. 
it only dreams of those things a mind is perfectly capable of projecting them and dreaming it within itself but it cannot change itself into a material object that's what we call a dream that's an example maya is like that maya actually is not transformed into a universe then all those objections against satkaryavada will come into force against maya but we do not claim maya is transformed into a universe the universe is the dream of of ishvara then who is there there's a question from an ipad yes yes uh, swami ji just uh, two two very small questions uh, you have been talking a lot about these different philosophers and you know the the scientists including this virtual universe concept uh, they also mention you know different dimensions that you know we are kind of living in a three in a three dimensional world four dimensional actually if you take time into account four dimensional if you take time and uh, can we kind of you know connect or uh, is there is there any thought in these philosophies in these vedantic philosophies about these other dimensions and my other question was related to time which was that isn't that a causeless cause or a causeless effect time itself yeah um now first of all about these other dimensions getting in touch with dimensions and all um in fact we are living in a multidimensional world not only four dimensions the four dimensions are what we are we are uh, uh, conscious of we are we are able to interact in four dimensions uh, but i mean if you just take up any standard book on on mathematical physics even brand green was talking about some 23 dimensions um predicted by uh, by mathematics they are, they are actually supposed to be tiny at the quantum level they, they he gave a wonderful graphics to show that uh, but they are right here we are not aware of it and we there's no way we can manipulate those dimensions just as we walk you know in three dimensions and we live through time a fourth dimension but those dimensions are also right here they are the constituents of the reality which we inhabit anyway that's physics i'm not going to that what would advaita say about it Advaita would say all of that is within the realm of maya it's within the realm of appearance it's not real it's it's not an actual transformation of reality into that multidimensional multiverse which physics talks about the multidimensional multiverse which physics talks about is fully admitted but like a simulation like a virtuality the reality advaita will insist is the thuriam yeah and about time also swami oh about time see um the question is is very subtle you see what will happen is advaita vedanta consists um, says that maya is the cause when we talk about cause and effect maya is the cause ultimately it's not the, brahman is not the cause of anything but at the level of cause and effect maya is the cause of the entire universe but what is maya according to advaita vedanta maya is time space causation causation itself is a constituent of maya time is a constituent of maya and space is a constituent of maya so this entire universe is like a playground in which all these events are happening and the playground here is made of time space and causation so time is part of the fabric of maya it is the same it is coextensive with causation you cannot ask for a cause of time time and cause they come together they rise and fall together 
when you example our our own phenomenological experience notice when we experience space we also experience time we also experience causation right now for example when you do not experience space time causation it is at the same time in deep sleep every day at night when we do not have any discrete experience of objects events there is no space no time no causation time space causation according to advaita they rise and fall at the same time and they are not real even when they appear they are not real reality is only two real yes a uh, few more comments are there there's one more question from girish ji hmm issue of uh, uh, comparison uh, refuting of other philosophies western philosophies the the concepts of god's love and god's grace as as being in, in favor being favored by god are are fundamental in various western philosophies christianity for example huh. but it seems to me that they don't really apply in advaita because nirvira brahman is you know indifferent basically to uh, man's morality or machinations so the issue of all right i understand um i have three things to say about that first i was just thinking about this you know uh, i have been given one paper to look up uh, to take a look at um, somebody written by a, a, a student of, of philosophy in one of the leading universities here so this this student he is a muslim i looked at some work done at harvard on advaita now what strikes me is when westerners or people trained in western thought come to advaita they bring their christian or islamic or judeo islamic baggage with them see the problem with western thought is uh, if you push it far further back it um, what you find behind it is basically christianity or uh, judeo christian thought from an advaitic perspective that's a our theistic framework and the problem you see the problem with that is there is nothing they do not have anything to contrast it with for an indian you understand the theistic framework very well god the creator universe devotion love surrender grace all of that language you understand what is at least whether you believe in it or not you understand what they are trying to say but you have got something to contrast it with also because you have got buddhism and jainism and say sankhya uh, which are non theistic they are spiritual they are philosophical but entirely non theistic you can conceive of this world and a satisfactory explanation without god entering the equation at all um now what happens is when a western thinker um even if the person is not a believing christian or a muslim or something like that um or jewish if they are trained in western thought the basic theistic paradigm i see i mean i can see that it's still there the ghost of god is still there even for an atheist in the west so when they come to advaita they i've seen it so much it's an unconscious urge to somehow reduce it to a, a theistic pattern that somehow their devotion must enter into it grace must enter into it somehow nirguna brahman has to be reduced into saguna brahman 
somehow the Saguna Brahman concept is more sophisticated than the Nidguna Brahman concept, which is not at all so. Uh, it, it all comes from the tendency of not being able to understand anything more than a theistic pattern, which is why um, Buddhism is so intriguing for a Western mind. How can there be a religion without God at all? So this is one point I wanted to make. Second point is that what about grace and love and devotion, Advaita, does it make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Remember, Advaita can be understood at two levels. At the absolute, which is Turiya or Nirguna Brahman alone, and there, the only, your only relation with that is Aham Brahmasmi, you are that absolute. Or at the, at the Vyavaharika, transactional level. The moment you talk about God, love, grace, morality, all is at the transactional level. At that level, does Advaita Vedanta accept God and uh, grace? Of course it does. Look at the texts of Advaita Vedanta, look at the hymns of Shankaracharya. Any standard text of Advaita Vedanta will give an explanation of Ishwara, Jiva and Jagat. The moment you bring Jagat, universe into um, the equation, moment you bring us as sentient beings into the equation, God is also brought in automatically. Um, so once uh, Advaitic Sadhu in Uttarakhand was joking that Shankaracharya had to face these questions when he interpreted the Upanishads in the non-dualistic framework like this and he, you know, Gaudapada's philosophy actually became popular through Shankara. Um, so immediate reaction from other Hindus was, are these fellows Buddhists? First reaction, these Advaitins. Uh, he was saying in Hindi, But do they go to temples? Do they observe, go to Tirthas, observe Shraddha, go to um, the holy dip in the Ganga? And Shankara's answer was, Haan, Baba, hum sab karte All of that we do. It is fully accepted. In what sense? In exactly the same sense you accept it. It is holy. It is good for us. Transformative. It brings the grace of Ishwara. Ishwara exists. Except just one point. Which need not concern you dualists at all. But one point from an Advaitic perspective is. The whole thing is Vyavaharika transactional. Which is a politically correct name for false. Mithya. <laughs> So, that is the second thing I wanted to say. Third thing, so at that transactional level, all, is, all of dualistic religion is admitted. Just as we just saw, um, Satkarya Vada is fully admitted at the level of clay becoming pot or milk becoming curd. There, Advaitin will not insist that milk is appearing as curd or clay is appearing as pot. No. If you want to say clay has been transformed into a pot, good, go ahead. We have no objection there. But whole of universe is a transformation of Prakriti or of Turiya. No, no, no. That is what Advaita Vedanta objects to. The third point I want to say, is Nirguna Brahman neutral regarding our morality? It seems to be. Just what you said now, Swami, that all of morality and ethics, if it is at the transactional level, Vavaharika, and Brahman is Nirguna, Paramarthika, there seems to be no connect. But remember, the transactional level and the Vyavaharika, uh, the transactional level, Vyavaharika and Paramarthika, absolute level, are not disconnected. The transactional level is on the foundation of the uh, absolute. The transactional level, the rope and the snake are not disconnected. The snake is an appearance in the rope. The rope can exist without the snake, but the snake cannot exist without the rope. The snake appears with the help of the rope. It's a misperception of the rope. Similarly, this universe, including ethics, morality, religion, love, God, grace, all of this depends on Nirguna Brahman. 
Without Nirguna Brahman, none of this would be possible. What does this mean for ethics? Actually, Swami Vivekananda, he, our Swami Bhajananji has a wonderful, wonderful uh, um, paper, Ontological Ethics of Swami Vivekananda, where he shows the only justification for ethics is Advaitic. Only justification for ethics is Advaitic. It is this oneness of all existence, that the difference is ap apparent, false. The reality is this one Turian or Brahman. That is the reality. Uh, from there only you can derive ethics. That Brahman is existence. From there, in, in Sanskrit also, the word Satyam, truth, comes from Sat, pure, pure being. Love, um, you know, it comes from the Ananda, the bliss aspect of Brahman. Um, verity, um, integrity of knowledge, it comes from the Chit aspect of Brahman. So, all of morality you can derive from the nature of absolute reality. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, um, though I don't know how this is relevant, I was uh, privileged to attend a course on ethics taught by Professor uh, Amartya Sen at Harvard uh, last uh, uh, fall. So it's, it's uh, interesting how there's a great struggle to find a foundation for ethics. The whole idea in Western ethics is you cannot derive an ought from an is. What one ought to do cannot be derived from the reality of this world. So that's why science and ethics are divorced. If you have a scientific theory that does not tell you about what is good and bad, how you should behave or you should not behave, that it's still up to you. Um, whereas Advaita Vedanta gives you what is called an ontological basis for ethics. The reality is this way and therefore you behave in this way. I mean, practically what does that mean? We say, in how do you understand ethics? So practically what Advaita Vedanta would say, whatever takes you Godward, whatever takes you towards enlightenment is ethical. Whatever takes you away from enlightenment, from God, is unethical. Of course, to work it out in detail would uh, require so many things. Uh, anyway, that was a very interesting um, class. Uh, so he has his own views. Uh, I mean, one professor was saying that, uh, see, would you say, isn't Professor Amartya Sen very learned in Indian philosophy also? He is. But what I found was, his learning is basically the learning of an Oxford Don, a uh, 19th century British Indologist looking at Indian <laughs> culture and heritage from a distance. It's not that he means badly. I mean, I had a few discussions with him also. But if you talk to him personally, you immediately get the impression of, um, of a um, Oxbridge gentleman, very courteous. I mean, when I went to meet him at this age, you know, it's very difficult for him to stand and move around. He immediately got up, shook hands, uh, and we sat and talked for a while. But his whole objection is, um, is of, a, of a Cambridge ethicist. Um, I mean, somebody from a 1960s or 70s Oxford Cambridge uh, School of Ethics, you know, from, from that, um, what you call ordinary language philosophy. That's how he analyzes it. So an example would be, he mentions Bhagavad Gita, for example, in the class. He said, see, in the first chapter of the Gita, Arjuna, in the class in Harvard, he mentioned, uh, Arjuna had so many objections to the war. And Krishna, of course, uh, dismissed them and taught the Gita, and finally Arjuna had to fight the war. But if you go through to the end of the Mahabharata, you will see what Arjuna said was right. 
so i support arjun amartya <laughs> sen was saying he was right and that the war is very bad and this will be the result and that was the result but that's missing the entire point of uh, the gita the point of the gita is to attain enlightenment which is something of course professor sen does not believe in okay we we'll leave it at that um are there any more there's one more question yes Yes, another unmanifest form. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. You don't have to become manifest. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I think like before coming to Vedanta, I mean, it's uh, I like many years back I read uh, Tao Te Ching. Like it's one of the uh, the Chinese. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a classic. Books. Absolutely. And, uh, and at that point when I read it, like I did not understand like what the book was saying. But now, like I was like revisiting it uh, some time back. and I, i found that like the way that they refer in like dao de jing it is like very similar to the ultimate reality that like the vedanta talks about is is that true like it is true it is true to the same it is true no doubt um only thing is in dao de jing you will not find this kind of a, a philosophical logical structure foundation what you find here it is argued out and step by step you are taken to it and shown this and possible objections to it also are dealt with Whereas the Tao Te Ching is very intuitive. It's poetic, intuitive, mystical. It tells you about the same reality, but it just points it out to you and in sort of enigmatic language sometimes, which you are supposed to grasp. Uh, yes, but it's definitely very profound. I don't have any serious study of it, but to what extent I have seen. In fact, um, at the Harvard Philosophical Philosophy Department in Emerson Hall, I met uh, this scholar from China. from uh, he's come from beijing um chao zeng uh, he is very interested in vedanta and he's doing a comparative study of of dao uh, of taoism and advaita vedanta so that's what he was working on and he's so interested he has translated swami vivekananda's raja yoga and was published in mandarin in china this year um so yeah there is a it's this i feel it's the same truth yeah all right on like- yes okay. Thank you. On that uh, note, let me do the Shanti mantra. We have gone over time again as usual. Om Shanti 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 He Hari He Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu.